0: Hello everybody and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast episode number 204. Today's big Bible question, why did Jesus often withdraw to lonely places by himself? Was he an introvert? So hello friends, happy Lord's Day to you. If you are listening to this early enough on Sunday, come on over and join us on Facebook uh, at the VBC Salinas page. That's Victor Bravo Charlie, V-B-C-S-A-L-I-N-A-S, for a live stream of our church gathering. We uh, meet, in quotes there, at 11 a.m. and are kicking off a brand new series on the Holy Spirit and how we must turn to him now during this pandemic. The message is entitled, Sit Down Church, and that title probably doesn't mean what you think it does. Look for an episode later this week with some great listener comments, questions, and feedback. Uh, I've saved some of the recent feedback up and hope to share with you uh, some of that soon and grapple with a couple of really good questions I've got here lately. But since Saturdays are often very pressed for me, today is not that day. Our Bible readings for the day include Judges chapter 2, Acts chapter 6, Jeremiah 15, and Mark chapter 1. And our focus passage comes from this small section at the end of Mark 1 that says, in verse 35, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. We found out later in luke five fifteen through sixteen that this was not a one-time thing for Jesus, but a frequent habit luke five sixteen uh, five fifteen and sixteen says the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed so Jesus, in the midst of the single most important mission in the history of the world often went to deserted places by himself. Now, that's fascinating, but why does he do this? Well, let's read Mark 1 and see if we can find some answers to that question. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, One who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, "'You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased.'" Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired man and followed him. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. They were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching? With authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went up to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was, praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages, so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. (laughs) Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news, with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. Well, I need to apologize to Peter here because... I feel like my current voice for Peter is absolutely terrible. So we're going to have to go back to the drawing board on that one. I think I'm much better at doing voices for, you know, Pharisees and scribes and bad people. I'm not sure what that says about me, but probably something. So great passage in Mark chapter 1, but no definite answers to our question. I have a reputation among my family and those who know me best Whenever there's a large gathering with lots of people, or even like a small gathering with a few people, at some point I'm probably going to slip away on my own for a little while. Just kind of slink into the shadows and disappear for a little bit. Today, on a wonderful family trip to celebrate uh, my daughter Cassidy's 13th birthday, we went to a swimming hole on the Carmel River in beautiful Carmel Valley wine country. Even on that trip, as great as it was... I slipped away for about 20 minutes to solo explore the surrounding area. If we have a large church-covered dish, I guarantee at some point, even though I love the food and the people, I'll disappear without a trace, at least for a few minutes, and you know, I'll come back. But for me, this is because I have some introvert blood running through my veins. I'm primarily an extrovert, but only barely primarily an extrovert. I'm sort of an introverted extrovert myself. Unfortunately, all that discussion just wasted a few seconds of your time here, because I don't actually think my personal experience and character quirks have really anything to do with why Jesus went to lonely places. Rather than 100% needing to recharge away from people to use some modern parlance, I believe Jesus usually had a much deeper purpose for withdrawing to lonely places. let's consider some scripture for instance matthew 14:23 after dismissing the crowds he went up on the mountain by himself to pray well into the night he was there alone matthew 26:39 going a little farther he fell face down he was by himself and prayed luke 6:12 during those days he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to god luke 5:15 and 16 we already read it He often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Luke 9, 28, after eight days, about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. So I think we can say that the primary reason Jesus went to be alone from other humans, uh, basing this on Luke 5 and other passages, was to focus on his heavenly Father and linger in prayer undisturbed. Now, think about this, friends. If the Son of God, God himself, lived a life of intense, intentional, and extended prayer, then I actually believe that is a great model for us also. Now, that said, I actually do find a few places where Jesus withdrew and prayer isn't mentioned. For instance, Mark six thirty-one and 32, Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while for many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat so they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place or how about matthew 14:13 when jesus heard about it he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone or luke 9:10 When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done, and he took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. So, (laughs) introverts rejoice. Jesus also seemed to live a life of regular times of withdrawal, either by himself or with his closest friends. Now, most of the time, it would appear that his focus in withdrawing was on prayer, but it honestly could be said that he also withdrew sometimes for rest purposes. Now, if we would emulate Jesus in the way he lived his life, and I think we should, then we should do these things too, majoring on withdrawing for prayer and minoring on withdrawing for rest, because both are important, both are needed, and both were done by Jesus, the Son of God. So let me close out with a couple of great thoughts from Spurgeon on withdrawing to lonely places. And Charles Spurgeon says, just then, just when there were such grand opportunities of go- doing good, just when everybody sought him, does Jesus get right away from there into the wilderness to pray? Yes, because he felt what he ought to feel, but often do not, that he needed fresh power. That as the servant of God, he must wait upon God for fresh power for his great life work. He withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. No doubt it was the constant habit of Christ to pray, but there were certain special times when he retired into lonely places and his prayer was peculiarly fervent and prolonged. One other Spurgeon quote along the same lines, he says, "...the Son of Righteousness was up before the Son. How much must our Lord have loved prayer to renounce his needed rest and sleep in order to hold converse with his Heavenly Father?" He was sinless and yet needed prayer. Far be it from us to dream that we can do without it. In private, we must, like our Lord, equip ourselves for the public battle of life. Amen and amen and amen. That is a lesson that it has taken years for me to learn. But praise God in the midst of this pandemic, the Holy Spirit is applying it more and more and more and more to my heart. And uh, I pray that I develop lifelong patterns of walking in the Jesus way on prayer, and that you do too. Judges 2, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bokim and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I had promised to your ancestors. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. You were not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You were to tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What have you done? Therefore, I now say I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a trap for you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly, so they named that place Bochim, which means weeping, and offered sacrifices there to the Lord. Previously, when Joshua had sent the people away, the Israelites had gone to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance— The people worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua. They had seen all the Lord's great works he had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors." After them another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord for they abandoned him and worshiped Baal and the Ashtaroths. The Lord's anger burned against Israel and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them just as he had promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders, but they did not listen to their judges. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. They quickly turned from the way of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. They did not do as their ancestors did. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned, because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. Whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their ancestors, following other gods to serve them and bow in worship to them. They did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he declared, Because this nation has violated my covenant that I made with their ancestors and disobeyed me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I did this to test Israel and to see whether or not they would keep the Lord's way by walking in it as their ancestors had. The Lord left these nations and did not drive them out immediately. He did not hand them over to Joshua. Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 1, Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel should stand before me, my compassions would not reach out to these people, send them from my presence, and let them go. If they ask you where will we go, tell them, this is what the Lord says, those destined for death to death, those destined for the sword to the sword, those destined for famine to famine, those destined for captivity to captivity, I will ordain four kinds of judgment for them, this is the Lord's declaration, the sword to kill, the dogs to drag away, and the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the land to devour and destroy, I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh son of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. Who will have pity on you, Jerusalem? Who will show sympathy towards you? Who will turn aside to ask about your well-being? You have left me. This is the Lord's declaration. You have turned your back, so I have stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I am tired of showing compassion. I scattered them with a winnowing fork at the city gates of the land. I made them childless. I destroyed my people. They would not turn from their ways. I made their widows more numerous than the sand of the seas. I brought a destroyer at noon against the mother of young men. I suddenly released on her agitation and terrors. The mother of seven grew faint. She breathed her last breath. Her sun set while it was still day. She was ashamed and humiliated. The rest of them I will give over to the sword in the presence of their enemies. This is the Lord's declaration. Woe is me, my mother, that you gave birth to me, a man who incites dispute and conflict in all the land. I did not lend or borrow, yet everyone curses me. The Lord said, Haven't I set you loose for your good? Haven't I punished you in a time of trouble, in a time of distress with the enemy? Can anyone smash iron, iron from the north, or bronze? I will give up your wealth and your treasure as plunder without cost for all your sins." And all your borders, then I will make you serve your enemies in a land you do not know, for my anger will kindle a fire that will burn against you. You know, Lord, remember me and take note of me, Jeremiah speaking. Avenge me against my persecutors, and your patience don't take me away. Know that I suffer disgrace for your honor. Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart, for I bear your name." Lord God of armies, I never sat with a band of revelers, and I did not celebrate with them because your hand was on me. I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. Why has my pain become unending, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? You truly have become a mirage to me, water that is not reliable. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, If you return, I will take you back. You will stand in my presence, and if you speak noble words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. It is they who must return to you. You must not return to them. Then I will make you a fortified wall of bronze to this people. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to save you and rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will rescue from the power of evil people and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition, however, from some members of the Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, so they came and seized him and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, This man never stops speaking against the holy place and the law, for we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him, and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Amen. May that be said of our faces as well, as we look to Jesus. Good day, friends, and Godspeed.